from KQED. KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. I'm Michael Krasny. Proposition 13, passed more than four decades ago, has dominated California political discussions for years because of the way it reshaped tax policy, housing, and school funding in the state. Now California voters are considering a measure that would be the biggest change in property taxes since Prop 13 passed back in 1978. Proposition 15 proposes that big commercial properties be reassessed every three years at market value. The extra revenue generated will go to schools and local government. Coming up, we'll break down the details of Prop 15, talk with the pro and con campaigns, and take your questions and comments. That's next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. In this hour... We're going to uh, break down California Proposition 15, which would require that some commercial properties be reassessed every three years at market value. And we'll hear from both sides of the debate. And we'll also take your questions on the biggest property tax change in California since Prop 13 passed back in 1978. But first, let's hear an explainer from our colleagues at KQED's Bay Curious podcast. Here's Bay Bay Curious host uh, Olivia Allen Price talking with KQED's Scott Schaefer. Before we can unpack Proposition 15, we first need to understand how commercial and industrial property tax in California works now. And to do that, we have to venture back 42 years. Yeah, well, you have to go back to like 1977, 78, Olivia. This is KQED politics and government editor Scott Schaefer. Back then, Jimmy Carter was president, Jerry Brown was governor the first time, and the inflation rate was high, like really high. Inflations hit the standard of living particularly hard here, and soaring property taxes have been a major factor. And at that time, property taxes were based on the value of your house. Uh, And so... People who were having, you know, living on fixed incomes like senior citizens were having a hard time paying their property taxes, and some of them were actually losing their homes. And so this created a movement. I am forming the American tax reduction movement for the United States. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Network uh, with Peter Finch. He plays this anchorman, Howard Beale. And the uh, I'm sure you've seen this clip where he throws open the window of his apartment and he screams out, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Well, that's what was happening in California about property taxes in the late 1970s. Proposition 13 gets placed on the California ballot, and it does a few things. It taxes properties based on their 1976 values, or their purchase price if the home was bought after 1976. Then it says, hey, homeowners, we're not going to raise your property tax assessment any more than 2% each year. Even if your home appreciates by 5% year over year, we're going to pretend it was only 2% or less for tax purposes. And lastly, Prop 13 says property tax can be no more than 1% of a home's value. And the purpose of this amendment is to reduce the amount of money that government takes in in taxes because we think the only way you can cut spending is to not give them the money in the first place. Proposition 13 is passed into law by a huge margin. Proposition 13 caused what may be a record voter turnout. 
So if you've owned property for, you know, since the 1970s, your property tax bill has gone up a lot more slowly than others who bought the property since then. A 2009 study found that since it went into effect, Prop 13 has reduced taxes in the state by about $528 billion in aggregate. That's good news for property owners, right? But it's not good news for local governments and school districts whose budgets depend on those property taxes. All right, Scott, so if Prop 13 was originally written with homeowners in mind, how did all these commercial properties end up benefiting? Since 1850, all property in California was taxed the same way, whether it was residential property or commercial property or agriculture property. Prop 13, it didn't change. It didn't divide up different kinds of property. It just changed the the way they were taxed. Okay, so we get to this point where we're at today, where I know there's some pretty big, notable companies that have gotten away with paying relatively small tax bills. Tell us about them. There are some companies that are particularly benefiting from that tax structure. One of them is Disneyland. Its tax is being based on 1975 property values in Anaheim. One study showed that in 2004, so it's a little ways back, but you get the idea, Disneyland was paying $0.05 per square foot in taxes. Now, if the land was reassessed, they would pay a whole lot more than that to Orange County. Right here in the Bay Area, Intel has a plot of land in the heart of Silicon Valley, And it has a current value of about $2.50 per square foot. That's what the property is valued at. Well, a professional office center right across the street uh, was assessed recently at $126 per square foot. So 50 times more. That's what they're paying property tax on. Well, Intel is paying on just a tiny fraction of that. So that's the inequity uh, that some people see and that they think Prop 15 will address. Okay, so that's how everything is working right now. How would Prop 15, which is what we're voting on this year, change things? Okay, so the phrase that's used is it would create a split role. Right now, there's one role for property taxes, commercial property and residential, all treated the same. Prop 15 would create a split role. It would split off commercial property. And instead of taxing it based on what the owners paid for it, it would be reassessed and it would be taxed based on current market value, which is going to be a lot higher, especially if that property has been owned for a long time. And so that would generate between six and a half and eleven and a half billion dollars a year that would go back to the counties. So it would go 60% of that would go to local governments for local services and 40% of it would go to school districts and community colleges to spend uh, as they see fit. And what's the rollout timeline? I mean, would it be like the day after the election, suddenly, you know, everyone's tax bill goes up? No, not at all. Uh, So it it would begin to be phased in uh, in 2022 because it's going to take some time for counties to kind of ramp up for this. They have to hire more assessors. They have to decide how to prioritize properties. And then it would be fully phased in by 2025. And so is this going to hit, you know, commercial and industrial properties uniformly, whether you're sort of a small business or, yeah, someone like Intel? No. Uh, I mean, first of all, it, the way the law is written, if your property is worth less, $3 million or less, it's not going to be affected at all. But here's the caveat. If you own, let's say you own four pieces of property that are worth $2 million each, uh, that's $8 million. And so then those properties would be reassessed. They look at what is the total holding of 
the the person who owns it, not just any single property, but what's the total that they own. And if it's above three million, then it would it would in fact trigger a reassessment. And what about agriculture? Agriculture land is exempted from from this. So just as residential property is, ag property is, but you know, this is opposed by the Farm Bureau and it's opposed by a lot of ag groups because they feel that although the land itself may not be reassessed, that other things like apple trees or grapes or almond trees or, uh, you know, improvements that they make to the property, that that could trigger a reassessment. So they don't quite believe uh, that, in fact, farms and, you know, ranchers will be held harmless. Scott, I know one big question that people will have is how will these changes impact homeowners? Well, that's a good question. And the answer is it doesn't affect homeowners at all. Um, Those rules for property taxes will be exactly the same as they are now. So that won't change at all. All right. Let's now get into who is supporting Prop 15 and why. Well, this measure was put on the ballot uh, by unions, organized labor, in particular the teachers union. They've put a lot of money into this. And part of the reason is that Prop 13, back in, again, 42 years ago, uh, really reduced the amount of money that was going to schools because property tax money goes to school districts. And so teachers unions feel that because of, you know, large class sizes, uh, inability to hire teachers because of the cost of living in California, that all these things uh, mean that, that this infusion of money that would come from Prop 15 would really be good for, for schools. You know, and it's, it's also being endorsed by a long list of prominent Democrats, including Governor Gavin Newsom, who endorsed it recently, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders has weighed in. He supports it. A number of local mayors like London Breed and Libby Schaff. And then there's some sort of advocacy groups like the Sierra Club and the ACLU that also endorse Prop 15. Who is opposing the prop so far? Well, not surprisingly, it's uh, it's business groups, uh, the Chamber of Commerce, Black and Hispanic Chambers of Commerce, uh, the Republican Party. Uh, and of course, they're saying, look, we're in the middle of a recession. It's hard enough to do business in California already with regulation and other kinds of taxes. Uh, and now you want to raise taxes on businesses at a, at a time when so many businesses are just struggling to keep the doors open. Um, so, you know, that that's an argument that they're making now because of the economic situation. Now, if it'd be interesting to know, and we will never know, but, you know, what would their argument be if the pandemic hadn't happened and the economy was still roaring? Um, but, you know, as it turns out, it's a pretty good argument uh, for some voters, given that, uh, you know, the, the economy is in fact struggling. Now, I don't think people will be surprised, but because there is so much money on the line here, that also means that this is shaping up to be one of the most expensive props that we'll be voting on this year. Tell us a little bit about the campaign finance and how that's uh, shaken out so far. Yeah. So as of late September, early October, the yes side has raised a little bit more money, $40 million, roughly $30 million for the no side. So they're pretty evenly funded. The thing is, Olivia, it's hard to break through to voters in this climate where we've got so much focus on the presidential election, the pandemic, the Supreme Court, wildfires. And so what we've seen actually in some recent polling is that there's an unusually high level of undecided voters um, because they they don't know much about these ballot measures because it, it just they don't there's not enough time in the day really to learn about so many things, especially when you're people are, you know, focused on and preoccupied with other things. That was KQED senior editor Scott Schaefer on KQED's Bay Curious podcast. And he joins us now. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Michael. 
And we're going to talk about what you've just been talking about in Bay Curious. We're also going to have a couple of other guests, and I'd like to introduce them in the debate. Uh, we have Catherine Bracey with us, who is with the Yes on Prop 15 campaign and executive director and founder of Tech Quality, excuse me, Tech Equity uh, Collaborative. And welcome to the program, Catherine Bracey. Good to have you. Thank you for having me. We also have Mike Gatto with us, who is uh, part of No on Prop 15 campaign, former Democratic State Assemblyman from Los Angeles. Welcome to the program. Oh, it's great to be here. Good to have you both here. And we are coming up on a quick break. When we're going to come back, we're going to hear more from Scott and hear more from our two debaters here, or two sides of the issue, and, of course, hear from you, our listeners. First thing, though, Scott, as we come up on a quick 60-second break here, this will be a constitutional amendment. This is a big deal. Uh, this would be the biggest change to Proposition 13, uh, which of course was passed in 1978. Since it passed, there have been a lot of other smaller changes, but this would be the first really fundamental change to it. And just as, you know, Prop 78, uh, in 1978, Prop 13 signaled a tax revolt. You know, if Prop 15 passes, it could sort of signal the beginning of a different era. Well, we'll talk more about this, and as I said, we'll hear pro and con, and we'll hear from you, our listeners. If you want to weigh in here or if you have questions about Proposition 15, you can give us a call right now. The number to call is 866-733-6786. Again, the number for your call is toll-free, 866-733-6786, or get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email any questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. You're listening to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about Proposition 15, and we're talking with KQD senior editor Scott Schaefer and also Catherine Bracey from the yes side of Prop 15 and Mike Gatto from the no side. And if you have questions or if you have comments, we'd like to hear from you. And again, you can join us toll free right now at 866-733-6786, or you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. Before we hear from the pro and con side, Scott, I want to get into a few things with you, and I wanted uh, sort of to flesh out some of the things that came out in the Bay Curious piece we heard. One has to do with uh, what you said about it, hard for this to get through to voters. You would think with the biggest tax increase in California history and also with the wildfires and, for that matter, President Trump's tax returns, that would motivate more voters. Uh, why do you think this is slipping? Well, I'm not sure what you mean by the biggest tax increase in history. I mean, it wouldn't affect, uh, it would affect corporations and it would affect, uh, it's not going to affect the average voter, uh, I guess. Uh, but, you know, the polling shows that there are a lot of people who are undecided, uh, roughly 49 to 50% yes, 30 in the 30, mid 30s, no, the rest undecided. Those are two polls from the Public Policy Institute of California and the Berkeley IGS poll. You know, typically, if a measure is going to pass, it needs to be, you know, I would say well into the 50s on the yes side, this close to an election. So while the yes side is pretty optimistic, you know, they do have to be worried uh, and perhaps the, the no side, uh, uh, you know, encouraged by the, by the fact that it is so close to that 50% threshold. Um, but, you know, it, it is, as I said, it's, you know, it's a complicated ballot measure. It's not super simple. I mean, some things are really easy, like do we want to restore affirmative action or not? Or do we want to end the ban on affirmative action or not? Do you support gay marriage or not? Those are kind of things you can you can answer with your gut 
based on your values. This one's a little more complicated, and I think those are that, that's one reason why there are so many undecided voters. Well, let me amend what I said. This is the largest annual property tax increase in the state's history, so I want to make sure that that uh, is clarified. And uh, let's hear from both sides. Let's hear first from Catherine Bracey on this. And Catherine Bracey, one of the major concerns that's been raised about the Proposition 15 is that it will sort of lead the way to dismantling Proposition 13. In other words, uh, right now there's a separation between commercial and industrial on the one hand and property uh, that's owned by uh, homeowners, but that that is simply an increment, that this is simply an incremental move to remove uh, what homeowners are now experiencing in terms of tax break. Yeah, well, that's just a scare t tactic that the no side um, is putting out there to make homeowners think that this impacts them. I think as Scott has made really clear, this does not impact homeowners at all. It doesn't impact any residential property. Um, it does not impact rental property. It doesn't impact uh, residential property, even if it's owned by a corporation. So we could not make that more clear that the Prop 15 initiative that voters will be voting on in 27 days does not impact homeowners whatsoever. They will be able to keep the protections that Prop 13 extended when it was passed and really it was sold as a homeowner protection. And the fact that you know we kind of snuck in this corporate loophole uh, is unique in the country. We're the only state in the country that treats uh, corporate property taxes the same as residential property taxes. And what that has meant over the last 40 years is that homeowners are bearing a disproportionate burden of the property taxes that, that are collected. Um, we're, homeowners are, are paying about 70% of the property taxes in the state. When Prop 13 passed in 1978, it was more evenly split, about 50-50. And I'm happy to get into more about why that is, but um, ultimately it's that these large corporations have been able to exploit the tax code to make sure that their property taxes never go up. Meanwhile, homeowners like me, are, um, are, are getting nickel and dime. There are um, parcel taxes and reassessments and you know bond measures because counties are not able to collect the money that they need to collect from these large corporations to fund the things that we all need like good schools and firefighting uh, and mental health services and affordable housing. Well, Catherine, another argument though that comes from those opposed is that large landlords will essentially pass the costs on to their tenants and their customers. And I wonder what your response is to that, particularly in light of the fact that pro property tax increases are likely to be passed on to tenants because of the way the leases are written. Uh, you have essentially, uh, uh, you know, uh, leases that, that require uh, renters after they sign to take care of uh, uh, well, extra estate taxes and uh, building insurance and maintenance, all of those kinds of things. And we put restraints particularly, so the argument goes, on uh, restaurants and restaurants are hurting. Um, so what's your response to that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we don't think that's true. And, and there has been study after study to show that what actually drives uh, commercial leases uh, and prices and rents is the market. Uh, landlords will charge the maximum that they can get a tenant to pay. And if it were true that property taxes were really driving uh, what landlords charge in rent, then California would see some of the lowest uh, commercial rents in the country because our property taxes right now are so low. So I just I think it's a fallacy to say that uh, property taxes are really what's driving rents. Um, what's driving rents are market factors. Uh, and if and frankly, you know, property owners, you see a lot of empty lots and uh, business fronts since that stay empty in places like San Francisco, which is totally inexplicable for a city that has such a booming economy. 
economy. Um, that's in part because those property owners don't have an incentive to get somebody into their property to pay the rent because they're not paying a lot of money in property taxes. There's no punishment for them to sit on the sidelines. They can just um, sort of speculate and wait for somebody to come along who's willing to pay the very high rent that they're charging while the property just sits empty. So we think if they're paying market value for their property taxes, that, that those business owners will be more incentivized to get renters in and the market will help uh, shake this out. Catherine Bracey again is with the Yes on Pref 15 campaign. We're going to talk to Mike Gatto of the No on 15 campaign. But first, uh, I want to ask Mike, in fact, specifically about closing property tax loopholes. Let me go back to you on this, Scott, because you've written about it, uh, this notion that there's a kind of Trojan horse for corporate tax cuts. You know, it's interesting, Michael. In, in my reporting, I went back and I talked to the people that worked on the original Prop 13 campaign. And, you know, what they told me was Prop 13 didn't say anything about how um, how the tax structure would be implemented. That was up to the legislature. And so I talked to Willie Brown, who was the chair of the Revenue and Tax Committee at the time, and he said, yeah, we, we wrote the law. We wrote the law that uh, described how it would be implemented, and in particular, when a commercial property uh, would be, uh, when a reassessment would be triggered. And it would be when 50% or more of the ownership changes hands. And what a lot of corporations have figured out in that loophole is that they can sell 49% to one person or group and 49% to another and 1% to another, 2% 2 to another. And, you know, they've avoided that reassessment. And, you know, Willie Brown, who we should say is, has gotten some money from the no side, um, said they they messed up you know that they that they should have written it another way to make it more clear so that there wasn't that loophole he insists that the legislature could in fact change it that you don't have to go back to the voters because prop 13 in 1978 was silent on this particular matter uh, and in fact tom almiano had legislation a few years ago that tried to close the most egregious loopholes uh, affecting some of these uh you know the businesses that we've mentioned and it uh, failed to get out of committee let me go to you on this, Mike Addo. I mean, if it's closing a corporate loophole on many people's minds, that's a good thing, a necessary thing. Sure. So, you know, I, I always start by saying how, um, how I mean, you know me during my legislative career, knew that I was sort of a tax crusader. I introduced some really big reforms, including a proposed tax on certain services because uh, recognizing that the sales tax is outdated. And I like big picture reforms and, um, uh, but this one, you know, it's got a lot of flaws. Um, most people uh, who, you know, have been following it closely know that the proponents, uh, who I respect very much, uh, they drafted two versions of this. And uh, the first one, they spent $10 million to qualify, and they came back and said, whoa, it's got a couple of drafting errors in it. Well, the, the second one that they qualified, which is on the ballot, uh, it was also noticed and pointed out after it was uh, qualified that it has a bunch of flaws in it, uh, things that I think if everyone took a deep breath and maybe, uh, uh, you know, pulled this one off the ballot, we could correct quite easily. Um, the, the um, you know, if, if this measure said, you know, any company, any corporation that owns, you know, 100 acres and uh, the, the land is worth over blah, 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 million will be taxed, I'd be here supporting it. I'd be speaking on the yes side. But the reality is it doesn't do just that. Uh, the, the effect on small businesses will be profound. Uh, you know, 
it is 89% of small businesses in the state of California that are on what's called a triple net lease, which means that property taxes are a direct pass-through. And these leases are, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years in duration. So those leases are already locked to say that the market's going to do it. Well, no, the lease is already locked for those small businesses. And when these small businesses who have suffered so profoundly under COVID, uh, you know, get a property tax bill, uh, that's going to be, as was noted, the highest property tax increase in the state of California's history, I think it's going to crush them. I think that is a tremendous flaw. I don't think the drafters meant that. I think the drafters are good people. I don't think they meant to hurt small businesses. But the reality is it does. If you're a small business who owns, okay, maybe if you have a small little place and you own your land, great. You're exempt if it's under $3 million. But again, 89% of small businesses in the state of California rent. The, the fellow who owns a sandwich shop at the corner, the gal who owns a nail salon, these Folks don't own the mini mall. That's some out-of-state corporation. It's going to pass the stuff directly through because the leases say, the, the contracts that they have signed, the long-term contracts say that it's a direct pass-through. So this is going to crush small businesses, among other flaws. Uh, Let me actually jump in here for a moment, though, if I may, Mike, because you're talking about who's going to be hurt by this. And uh, obviously, Catherine Bracey sees it from a different perspective. But speaking about different perspectives, I'd like your take on something else which has emerged in this debate. And that is you have certainly uh, people like Alice Hoffman, who is uh, president of the conference of the NAACP and others uh, in uh, Black Chamber of Commerce, Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, who support the measure. Um, but there's been certainly a lot of uh, opposition to the measure. In fact, uh, uh, Angela Glover Blackwell uh, of Oakland, who is uh, really a leader in the African-American community, has said that a vote for 15 is a vote for racial equity. Dolores Huerta, the Farm Workers Union, has said that it's really necessary to help uh, schools and communities. Um, what's your argument against those kind of positions? Well, I think, first of all, real quick, I think you misspoke. Uh, you said that the NAACP is supporting it. There are Alice Huffman and, uh, and the Latino chambers and so on and so forth. Those groups are opposing. Property. I meant to say they opposed and, it. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And, and, and my, my take is simple. I mean, um, most, uh, most businesses in California, I forget the exact number, but it's well over 50% of small businesses. I think it's around 60% are owned by immigrants and people of color. And, you know, if you tell somebody who came here and they have a teeny tiny small, and of course they rent and it is their little piece of the American dream. And that person has already suffered tremendously under COVID. And now you're telling them, well, on top of that, you're going to have a tax increase. I think that crushes their entrepreneurial spirit. I think it crushes the American dream for that, for that person. And, Again, you're talking 60% um, in the neighborhood of 60% of small businesses in California are owned by immigrants and people of color. And, you know, these are the people who will get hurt by Prop 15. Uh, right, on that note, I want to bring in some callers here. And again, if you'd like to join us, you can join us by phone or by uh, emailing us forum at kqed.org or get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Let me get a caller on, and that's Myron. Myron, good morning. Uh, good morning, Michael. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I was driving by a, uh, a vineyard uh, yesterday and in, in locally, and there was a sign on it that said, vote no on Prop 15, save family farms. And I like to understand how that uh, is impacted by Prop 15. 
Yeah, thank you for that question, Myron. I'm going to go back to you on this, Scott, because in the Bay Curious, uh, uh, we heard about uh, the Farm Bureau supporting, uh, uh, or excuse me, the Farm Bureau opposed to Prop 15. Uh, and uh, this has to do with the sort of things you were mentioning. I mean, it has to do with property improvements uh, not being exempt, uh, building orchards or vineyards, those kinds of things, as the caller suggests, or an irrigation system for that matter. Right. You know, it reminds me of uh, Republicans when they talked about getting rid of the so-called death tax. They said that increasing it uh, would or keeping it, you know, hurts family farms. You know, I think family farms are very people have a soft spot in their hearts for small growers, understandably uh, and justifiably. Uh, you know, this measure, as I said, is does not affect agricultural land. It could. And, the, you know, let's face it, when a ballot measure in California passes, it often ends up in court. Uh, and so that will be the case with this one, no doubt, if it passes. Uh, and this might be one of the issues that, uh, in fact, is challenged by the opponents is whether or not uh, additions to property, improvements on farm property, irrigation, as you said, uh, you know, could be trees or grapes or whatever it is. Uh, machinery, that some of those things could trigger a reassessment. It's not clear to me that it would, um, but as I said, it's the kind of thing that sometimes is settled by the courts. Well, as it's written, farmland is exempt, but commercial buildings on that land could be taxed at a higher rate. And let me go to another caller here. Let's have Julie join us from Menlo Park. Julie, welcome. You're on the air. Hi, good morning, Michael. I appreciate you taking my call. I would like to hear your guest talk about the California lottery, which was sold to uh, the voters as a way to make up the shortfall from the passage of Prop 13. And in particular, if Prop 15 were to pass, how far does the California lottery go to making up the remaining shortfall? Catherine Bracey, you want to take that on? Um, I can't really speak to the lottery, unfortunately, but I can say that, you know, there have been a variety of sort of ad hoc revenue uh, measures that have been put forward in, in California that don't necessarily make sense, in large part because the state is not able to collect uh, the property taxes from these large corporations that we absolutely need to fund um, uh, critical infrastructure and critical services. So, you know, I think if you're frustrated by, you know, the fact that there are every two years, there's some new tax increase on the ballot that, that, that voters are being asked to weigh in on, um, then you should really be looking at, at Prop 15 as the answer, as part of the answer to that, which is really making a fundamental systematic change to the tax code that, um, that makes it fairer and more sustainable. And let me go back to Mike Addo. Mike, you've been talking about how small business would be hurt, but there is an argument that rent increases are more tied to the market than they are to the reassessment of taxes and therefore would be less likely to hurt small businesses. And you say what to that? Well, of course, uh, most small businesses are tied up in leases, and so uh, it's really out of their control. And I don't think that, you know, the landlords who are out there to, uh, to make the highest rent, is, uh, as uh, the other speaker noted, are going to suddenly say, gee, we're going to be really nice and we're going to not pass on this huge tax increase. But I also want to address what the first caller said just for a moment about farmers, because that's an important flaw that, that I did not mention in, the, in, the, in, in my intro. And, you know, Scott is correct. Uh, there, this measure would technically exempt the land, but it does not exempt the fixtures on it. So if you're a dairy and you know you've got a herd of cattle and you've got a facility that that takes out the milk and you or if you're a winemaker and you've got the grapes and you know you've got th these processing facilities those would all face a tax increase if you buy 
cheap land in the desert and you put solar panels on it and the real value are the solar panels, that is what will be will face a tax increase. So when 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 people say that this is going to crush farmers and it's going to hurt our clean energy goals, that's what they're referring to. Uh, you imagine if, if you're a struggling farmer and you have 20 years of bad wine and then, you know, uh, year 21, you have a cult vintage and everyone's celebrating your wine. And then the assessor knocks on your door and says, gee, your wines are your, your vines are now worth a billion dollars. Uh, you know, that's exactly what we're talking about. And, you know, Lord knows in the pandemic, everyone needs their wine. Uh, but, but, you know, jokes aside, this measure will hurt family farmers. Well, we're talking about the third rail of California politics, Proposition 13, splitting the roles and making Proposition 13 split between industrial and commercial properties as opposed to private home properties. And we will continue and take more of your calls and emails and feel free to join us. You're listening to Forum on KQED Public Radio. I'm Michael Krasny. And you're listening to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny, and we're talking about Proposition 15 with KQED senior editor Scott Schaefer and Catherine Bracey of the Yes on Prop 15 campaign and Mike Gatto of the No on Prop 15 campaign. And let's hear from David in San Francisco. David, join us. You're on the air. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Um, I am a small business owner in San Francisco, have a few leases, the triple net leases that would be impacted by this legislation where to, where to make it through. Um, but I just wanted to say, from my perspective, this topic is being mischaracterized as something that would hurt or crush small business mom and pops. I would just say that's a false or scapegoating. Um, there, we should consider the climate that we're in. Um, small business is not going to be saved or, or lost because of this proposition. <clears throat> I think the real issue is is inequity. I think if we look at this, and, and for me, it's about corporations not paying their far, fair share, about having massive profits, about not contributing to the tax base, about using the infrastructure of, of the city and the workforce. And, you know, just I just wanted to give that perspective. Uh, also, we're in a time when all leases are being renegotiated. Business are under incredible pressure. There will be huge collateral damage. There has been already. I'm in restaurants. There has been already in our in our industry, and that will continue through the winter. Uh, there will be a surplus of commercial real estate, and uh, the conversation is really about is going to be about what leases look like, about high rents, and uh, I just wanted to say that that I think corporations should pay their fair way, their fair their fair share, and I think this is a much bigger picture conversation about social equity. All right, David, good to hear from you, and I appreciate hearing from you. Let me hear from another caller, right? And Sarah Adam here, let's go to Paul in San Mateo. Paul, good morning. Hi, good morning. Um, I voted in favor of it, and I, I now regret my vote. I turned in my ballot a few days ago. And listening to this debate, I mean, when I voted in favor of it, I did feel sort of, is this the right time to do it during COVID and, and the struggle that businesses are having in small businesses? But I voted in favor, and I'll tell you why. Those of us who moved to California after the original proposition, we carried the bulk of the pain of property tax. You know, we pay much more than our neighbors. We pay, And so I think part of what the vote is, is the anger towards those of us who moved in later and carry the burden, which is not equally shared by all property owners. 
And so I wonder if your um, if your guest would uh, sort of talk about that. Uh, let me actually go to you on this, if I could, Mike Addo. You want to respond? Yeah. So I mean, I think that is a uh, very valid, uh, very valid point. And I'm, I'm glad. Well, I'm, I'm sad and glad that the gentleman, uh, you know, uh, is sad about his vote uh, after hearing this debate. Um, there, there is some anger from people who <clears throat> came to uh, came here later, and 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 you know, certainly as someone myself who who bought a place, uh, uh, you know, uh, in recent memory. Uh, yeah, you know, you look at the property tax and you say, God, it would have been nice to have bought it in 1980. And, and that's, that's a regret that a lot of people have about a lot of things. But, you know, you really can't have it both ways, though, because corporate real estate does change hands pretty fast as well. Most people who buy a piece of corporate real estate, they, uh, they don't do any of these fancy accounting. And, uh, so, so you know, they are reassessed uh, quite often. I think I think the average is is every few years, and it's also important to note what Prop 13 does and doesn't do. Uh, Prop 13 does allow for property taxes to go up. It's just that the tax increase is capped. And the final thing, you know, because the, the caller did mention homeowners, which is an important note. At the beginning of the segment, you know, you, you said you stressed that this, uh, you talked about the effect on homeowners, and I think why there's a lot of heartburn about this is because at a recent debate. Uh, the proponents were asked very clearly by a respected member of the media, will you go after homeowners next if this passes? And the proponents were very evasive, and one of them even said yes. Uh, you know, if, if Prop 15 passes, the next measure you will see on the ballot will go after certain homeowners. And that was, I appreciate that honesty. Um, I, I do think that that is an accurate statement. And so it does give me a little heartburn as a homeowner that, these type of tax increases will not stop here. Well, in all fairness, Catherine Bracey's pretty much disputed that from her perspective. But Catherine Bracey, I'd like to hear what you have to say, particularly about the question of the effect on small businesses. I mean, we heard from a caller yeah. just a couple callers ago, and we heard from Mike uh, saying the effect is going to be pretty uh, serious on small business. Your position? Yeah, I do want to answer that. And, and also, um, you know, it's just completely a fabrication that corporate real estate turns over as often as residential real estate does. That's just not true. We see time and time again, large corporations exploiting the fact that Prop 13 allows them to sell corporate property in chunks of less than 50% in order to avoid being reassessed. We've seen that on um, large office towers in San Francisco, um, where we have foreign sovereign wealth funds that come in and basically run a tax arbitrage scheme on the residents of California um, they invest in real estate there and they know they're going to make a lot of money on it because they're never going to have their property taxes reassessed as long as they sell those pieces of property in chunks of less than 50%. That is not fair to us as homeowners. I mean, I think it's a scandal that I pay $6 a square foot in property taxes on my home while Disney is paying five cents a square foot. That is uh, unfair and we need to fix that loophole. On the small business piece, one thing that's really important to know, and Mike is right, we, we wrote this very carefully to protect as many small businesses as possible. 92% of the new revenue is coming from the top 10% of landowners, 92% of the new revenue. Um, any ownership, land owners that own less than $3 million in properties are exempted. And if uh, a landowner has more than that and their, uh, their land is or their buildings are occupied by a majority of small businesses, um, that uh, reassessment is pushed off until 2025, which as the small business owner mentioned, that gives plenty of time 
for landlords to renegotiate leases um, and not pass on that property tax increase to their tenants who frankly just won't pay it. And if they don't pay it, then um, that landlord is going to have a choice between keeping their property empty or carrying the full bur and carrying the full burden of paying their property taxes or lowering the rent to something that a small business can afford. The other thing that's really important to note that we have included in this initiative is a $500,000 tax break for small businesses on their pers business personal property. So you mentioned restaurants earlier and how this has been such a hard time for them. Well, restaurants every year pay property taxes and farms as well. They pay property taxes on their fixtures and equipment. So a stove or the dinnerware or, you know, the silo or the, the tractor, all of those things are things that property owners pay taxes on that will be wiped out by this ballot initiative. Um, small business owners who own their land have less than 50 employees, which I would imagine is a lot of family farms will not have to pay business property tax at all. So we really did take a look at how we could write an initiative that was targeted at these large corporations, the, the foreign sovereign wealth funds like, um, you know, the, the sovereign wealth fund of Hong Kong, the so which owns a, a, a stake in Facebook's building in downtown San Francisco, the sovereign wealth fund of Norway. There was just a, an article in the San Francisco Chronicle about um, a building that they own, the Trump Corporation, which owns the Bank of America Tower. Uh, in downtown San Francisco, they are avoiding tens of millions of dollars a year in property taxes, while the students in San Francisco Unified are facing a $30 million uh, budget deficit. That was pre-COVID. So, I mean, we really have to ask ourselves, are we willing to let the Trump Corporation get away with not paying their fair share of property taxes in California while students in California um, don't have access to the internet at home? Well, California is facing a $54 billion deficit over the next year, and actually state revenues are expected to drop over $40 billion from pre-COVID uh, January assessments. Let me read some emails that are coming in. Uh, Tom writes, apparently it's never the right time to talk about funding schools at the level they need. The question for me is, why isn't the state making education the priority it needs to be? When I was in public school, California was number one in spending on education. Now we are number 46. Uh, George writes, uh, Prop 15 is an attack on Prop 13, which wisely limited state property taxes. If it should pass, there will be further erosion of property tax limits. This is the first step in an endless increase in property taxes. And another listener says, I don't see how small businesses, uh, this is Pam, would be impacted based on the intro to today's program. What I heard was it would impact property values above $3 million. That doesn't sound like a nail salon or a sandwich shop. Scott, let's talk with you just for a moment about how unions figure into this, because they do, and especially where the opposition is concerned. Yeah, so uh, the yes side, which of course is unions, they're the ones that uh, helped collect the signatures to put this on the ballot, uh, have raised about $49 million. The no side has raised about $40 million. And, uh, you know, the critics of the measure say that a lot of this money that is going to go to schools and 40% of the new revenue, which the LAO, the Legislative Analyst uh, Office, says will be between six and a half and eleven and a half billion dollars a year in new revenue, 40% uh, of that would go to schools. And critics say, well, where's that money going to go? Uh, and, and, and some point to the 
um, the pension costs uh, that are obligated but not paid by local school districts. I mean, school districts have been having a very hard time. The state bailed out the LA Unified School District in past budget years. And so, the, you know, there, that is one of the criticisms is that unions really like this because it's going to get their pensions funded, um, you know, in addition to other benefits that would end up in the classroom. Uh, but that's uh, that that is the you know the criticism uh but you know as the caller or the i guess it was the um uh comment from the listener earlier you know schools are underfunded in California compared to other states and let me uh actually give a fact here that was uh put on uh the, sc- the screen I'm looking at by uh, one of our producers uh, Blanca Torres who says that Trump is actually an investor in about 30% of 555 California the Bank of America tower uh, building that was just alluded to by uh, Catherine Bracey. Thank you for that, Blanca. And let me get another caller on her. Nancy from Sebastopol joins us. Nancy, welcome. Oh, thank you. My my question might have been answered, but uh, earlier on, the guy was giving an example of how a winery has lousy wines for 20 years and then has a vintage one that makes a lot of money, and they, they come back and uh, reassess. How is it now if that guy had 20 years of rotten wine and then a good one um do they not get assessed at this point scott i know 20 years of rotten wine i'm not sure you're still in business uh because there's a lot of good wine coming out of sonoma napa mendocino counties and other places that was the example (laughs) yeah Uh, i i don't i don't think it this would apply to the value of the product it's really more about the property the equipment uh, the improvements. So I don't think it would be like, you know, gee, their, their cheese is really good. So we're going to reassess their property. I don't think it's, I don't think it's related to the value or the quality of the product. So a question from a listener named Carlos Scott. Let me go to you on this. He wants to know, is Prop 15 factor in the business's income in any way to assess whether a business is in a position to pay high pro- higher property taxes? No, I mean, not their income. It does take into effect uh, the value of the property. As uh, I think Catherine said earlier, uh, property, uh, anybody who owns property that's valued in total of $3 million or less will not uh, be affected by this. Their property would not be reassessed, but uh, no, to answer the question. Mike Addo, let me get a response uh, to you from a question from a listener named Warren. It says, the argument that uh, we should not raise commercial property taxes during the pandemic-induced recession is nonsensical. The Prop 15 changes don't begin to take effect until 2022 and are not fully in effect until 2025. The timing seems ideal relative to the pandemic. Mike? Yeah, so I want to be clear. I would be against Prop 15 for its effects on farmers and solar and wind and small businesses, even uh, without the pandemic. But I believe that the proponents had a chance to take Prop 15 off the ballot up until July 1st. And there was a lot of talk. Uh, you know, again, I, I've, I've said the proponents are good people and they meant well. And um, there was a lot of talk whether they should take it off the ballot because of the pandemic. And I think it's kind of unrealistic to, for anybody to pretend that we have a crystal ball. You know, small businesses try their best to plan. Um, and, and I want to address what one of the emails said. Uh, one of the emails said, I don't see how it, how it uh, would have, you know, how a sandwich shop is worth over $3 million. I want to be very clear. The only people who get the tax break for small or the only people who are exempted in this measure are small businesses who own a structure. So you have to own a structure, period, to get an exemption. Uh, so, so the, the gee, is your sandwich shop worth over $3 million? That's not the question. The question is, do you own your sandwich shop? And most small businesses, 89% do not. You, you're a part of a big mini mall. That big mini mall is, you know, 
uh, you know, worth $20 million and you rent every month, property tax is a direct pass-through. Under the that, that sandwich shop. That yeah, let, sandwich go ahead, shop. Catherine Bracey. I want to hear from Sorry, you that, on this. That sandwich shop and that nail salon um, would get a tax cut on the business no, personal property. Yes, they do. Uh, $500,000. And for small businesses, uh, if you have less than 50 employees, you get exempted completely from the business personal property tax, now, which now is something that every business, every business <laughs> has, every business has to itemize their equipment and fixtures on their tax return. And then that is assessed and they pay taxes on that equipment and fixtures. Now, right. under this initiative, so they are exempted up to five. Hold on, we're getting crosstalk here, Mike. Mike, uh, just let Catherine finish her thought, please. And as uh, yes, they get a tax cut. And in addition to that, if their landlord tries to pass on the property tax increase, which no landlord is doing right now, by the way, property taxes clearly are not influencing the cost of rent. Rents are set by the market. And if a landlord tries to pass along that rent increase to the sandwich shop and the sandwich shop can't pay it, then the market will solve for that. The sandwich shop will go to another landlord who is willing to pay a or to tra charge a competitive price. And as the other caller said, this is phased in over time. If an owner, even if their value is over $3 million, um, if their property is occupied by a majority of small businesses, like a strip mall would be, they, they are not gonna get reassessed until 2025. That is five years for them to renegotiate leases or for the market to play out. So I really do think it is a scare tactic to tell small businesses that in this moment of recession, that they are gonna get their, their uh, leases changed or their rents increased. That's just not gonna happen anytime before 2025 to any small business. And most small businesses are actually gonna see a benefit from Prop 15 in the form of these property tax, personal property tax cuts. All right, afraid we're gonna have to agree to disagree on that for the moment because I wanna get another caller in here and that says Merelda from Berkeley, good morning. Thank you for waiting. Hi. Yeah, so I'll be really quick. This is, seems like a perfect example of why I wish the legislature would take up these issues. I'm all for cor taxing corporations, but it does sound like there's flaws. A legislative body should be dealing with this. Thank you for that call. And let me go to you on this, Scott. This is a frequent thing that we hear about ballot measures. They should be taken up by the legislature and the legislature doesn't take them up. And, you know, I think that is a great point. And, uh, you know, ballot measures are blunt instruments. They're written by people who have a particular interest or stake in the outcome of the ballot measure. Uh, it's much better to negotiate uh, in, like to do major uh, tax reform in California. Governor Newsom said he was trying to do that or said he would do that. It didn't happen. And that's typically what happens when people who are on one side or another of, a, of an issue don't like what the legislature is doing or not doing, they go to the ballot. And the problem with ballot measures, in addition to being blunt, uh, inter instruments is that you can't really change them without going back to the voters. I mean, some states have automatic sunsets. Say after five years, you have to assess, well, how did it work out? Should we change it? Or the legislature can change it. California, I believe, is the only state in the country that only the voters, if the voters do it, only the voters can change it. And that makes you know the outcome of these ballot measures really, really important. Well, this one is important, and it does boil down to some extent uh, to those who want more revenue for the local communities and schools versus those who feel business needs to be protected. And you, the voters, will indeed be the ones to decide. The onus is upon you. I hope we've certainly clarified this 
contentious and I think very important proposition and whether you weigh in on the positive or the negative side. And you can certainly let us know what you think about what you hear on forum or would like to hear on forum. We're going to continue election coverage, though. Stay tuned for another hour. Mina Kim will be hosting and uh, it's been, I think, a very enlightening hour. I certainly hope it has been for you. And I remind you that uh, we'll be back with you on the morrow. We're going to be talking about the Supreme Court confirmation hearings, uh, and we're also going to be talking about some actions with respect to police and reforming police in a number of different areas throughout Northern California. Thank you for being a part of this morning's program. And for all of us here at KQED Public Radio, please stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.